read it and asked him to lend me his ring with which I wrote under it thus. And so in love, says everyone. He takes his ring again and writes another line thus. Virtue alone is an estate. I borrowed it again and I wrote under it. But money's virtue, gold is fate. He coloured as red as fire to see me turn so quick upon him. And in a kind of rage, told me he would conquer me and writes again thus. I scorn your gold and yet I love. I ventured all upon the last cast of poetry, as you'll see, for I wrote boldly under his last. I'm poor. Let's see how kind you'll prove. This was a sad truth to me. Whether he believed it or no, I could not tell. I suppose then that he did not. However, he flew to me, took me in his arms, and kissing me very eagerly, and with the greatest passion imaginable, he held me fast till he called for a pen and ink, and then told me he could not wait the tedious writing on the glass, but pulling out a piece of paper, he began and wrote again, Be mine with all your poverty. I took his pen and followed him immediately thus, Yet secretly you hope I lie. He told me that was unkind, because it was not just, and that I put him upon contradicting me, which did not consist with good manners, any more than with his affection. And therefore, since I had insensibly drawn him into this poetical scribble, he begged I would not oblige him to break it off. So he wrote again, Let love alone be our debate. I wrote again, She loves enough that does not hate. This he took for a favour, and so laid down the cudgels, that is to say, the pen. I say he took it for a favour, and a mighty one it was, if he had known all. I took the freedom one day, after we had talked pretty close to the subject, to tell him that I hoped he would allow me to ask a few questions related to our manner of living. He began to tell me, in a frank, open way, all his circumstances, by which I found he was very well to pass in the world. But that great part of his estate consisted of three plantations which he had in Virginia, which brought him in a very good income, generally speaking, to the tune of three hundred pounds a year, but that if he was to live upon them, would bring him in four times as much. Very well, thought I, you shall carry me thither as soon as you please. I won't tell you so beforehand. In short, we were married, and very happily married on my side, I assure you, as to the man, for he was the best human man that ever woman had. When we were married, I was shrewdly put to it to bring him that little stock I had, and to let him see it was no more. But there was a necessity for it. So I took my opportunity one day when we were alone to enter into a short dialogue with him about it. My dear, said I, we have been married a fortnight. Is it not time to let you know whether you have got a wife with something or with nothing? Your own time for that, my dear, said he. I am satisfied that I have got the wife I love. I have not troubled you much, says he, with my inquiry after it. That's true, says I. But I have a great difficulty upon me about it, which I scarce know how to manage. What's that, my dear, says he? Why, says I, it is a little hard upon me, and it is harder upon you. I am told that the captain, I mean my friend's husband, has told you I had a great deal more money than I ever pretended to have, and I am sure I never employed him to do so. Well, says he, the captain may have told me so, but what then? If you have not so much, that may lie at his door. But you never told me what you had, so I have no reason to blame you if you have nothing at all. It is so just, said I, and so generous, that it makes my having but a little a double affliction to me. The less you have, my dear, says he, the worse for us both. But I hope your affliction you speak of is not cause for fear I should be unkind to you for want of a portion. 
No, no, if you have nothing, tell me plainly and at once. I may perhaps tell the captain he has cheated me, but I can never say you have cheated me, for did you not give it under your hand that you are poor? And so I ought to expect you to be. Well, said I, my dear, I'm glad I have not been concerned in deceiving you before marriage. If I deceive you since, tis ne'er the worse. That I am poor is too true, but not so poor as to have nothing neither. So I pulled out some bank bills and gave him about a hundred and sixty pounds. There's something, my dear, said I. Not quite all, neither. He was so obliged by the manner, and so pleased with the sum, would have been in a terrible fright lest it had been nothing at all, that he accepted it very thankfully. And thus I got over the fraud of passing for a fortune without money, and cheating a man into marrying me on pretense of a fortune. Which, by the way, I take to be one of the most dangerous steps a woman can take, and in which she runs a hazard.